Welcome to the Leadership Window Podcast with Patrick Jinks. Each week, through a social sector lens, Patrick interviews leaders and experts and puts us in touch with trends and tips for leading effectively. Patrick is an LSI certified leadership coach, a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, a best-selling author, award-winning photographer, and professional speaker. And now, here's Patrick. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 53 of the Leadership Window. I am Patrick Jinx, certified leadership and strategy coach and president of the Jinx Perspective. Happy October. Boy, can you believe it is the fourth quarter of 2021, unless you're um, one of those organizations that has a fiscal year of July through June. That's always driven me crazy. If that's the case, you're only starting the second quarter of your year. So I was talking to my son last night. We were talking about New Year's resolutions. He said, yeah, I'm behind on mine. I said, just switch it to a fiscal year and go July through June and you'll be back on track. But anyway, um, happy fourth quarter, happy fall, happy October. This is episode 53 and we have Natasha Davis on the program. She is a brand expert and we're going to talk about branding and what that means for your organization, particularly if you're here and you're a nonprofit organization. How does the, what, what are the branding experts like Natasha saying are the current trends and tips and best practices for branding? And specifically, we'll get some tips from her on branding your nonprofit, but we're also going to talk about what branding is and what branding is not. However, before we do that, I want to point your attention to Leadership Systems Incorporated, who is a continued sponsor of this program, great partner with us. Leadership Systems is where I got my coaching certification. If you are interested in learning how to add coaching to your leadership toolkit, uh, Leadership Systems is the place to go and get trained. And they have amazing rates for listeners of this program. Here's Michael Wallace to tell you a little bit more about that. Hey, this is Michael Wallace with Leadership Systems Incorporated. And on behalf of LSI, I want to say thanks for supporting our friend Patrick Jinks and the Leadership Window Podcast. We've been partnering with Patrick for many years, and we are so proud to have him represent us as an LSI certified executive coach. As a mutual friend, we'd like to offer you exclusive rates on some of the same training that Patrick has received over the years, as well as some new experiences that we've been developing. Head over to leadershipsystems.com slash jinx to see the upcoming training events on our calendar and register today to keep learning and growing. Again, that's leadershipsystems.com slash jinx, J-I-N-K-S, for exclusive pricing on LSI's virtual and in-person training events. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Michael and Dr. Jim Smith and Taylor and all the folks at LSI for your continued partnership and support of the Jinx Perspective and of this podcast. We really appreciate it. All right, let's dig straight into this. I am so glad to have gotten connected with our guest today. Natasha Davis is a an award-winning brand specialist, brand consulting or consultant. She is, I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to make her intro really short because she has tons of awards. She's a part of a number of big associations for entrepreneurs and women's businesses and branding and coaches and consultants and the whole works. She is uh, a wonderful author of a number of books we'll talk about in a little bit. Her website is impact branding consulting dot org impact branding consulting dot org we'll drop it on the podcast page so you can have a link to that as well and uh, she also has an interesting first profession that we're going to talk about maybe a little bit and learn about her journey but natasha thank you for connecting with me i'm so glad we were able to do this and welcome to the program Oh, thank you so much, Patrick. I'm really excited to be here and being able to share some information to help everyone to elevate their leadership. <laughs> well, one of the things I noticed about you really quickly is your energy. You know, you can hear and see people's energy over the phone, over the airwaves, even if you can't see the person. And I really appreciate that. And I, I think it, I think that has a lot to do with branding, you know, energy and what is your energy and how are you projecting yourself in a way that says, this is who this is. This is what Natasha is all about and who she is and what she does. So I just want to throw that out there. I, I appreciate the energy I feel going back to the, um, to our first connection. I really appreciate that. 
Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. And you're right, you know, having really good energy around what you're doing is a part of your brand, um, not only your personal brand, but also your company brand. And it makes a huge difference. And, you know, it's kind of like if you walk into a building and the energy is very dry, it's very solemn, you know, what do you feel? You're like, it drops your energy, it drops who you are, and you're having to find your way to, to really climb out of that. So at, your brand is really about the energy you bring and you know as we say if you love what you do you're not working you're just you're just really operating in your gifts yeah um and you brought something to my mind Im immediately and that is how people identify with your brand which is what you want right you want your audience the stakeholders that you're looking to engage you want them to identify with your brand and so when you talk about you know walking into a room do you turn the light off or do you turn the light on Yes. People will identify with either one and you want them identifying with that positive aspect of your brand. Boy, that, I mean, that's that cannot be truer than in the nonprofit sector, I can tell you. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. And you're right. And I love that. Do you turn the light on or do you turn the light off when you step into a room? And that's really important, right? You know, when you're speaking or you're showing up or, you know, you're supporting a, a client or supporting customers or supporting your team, you know, are you turning their light on or you're actually turning their light off? Because we can use um, our presence to do a lot, a lot of things. I like what I like the way you put it better. Are we turning their light on or off? Does our connection with them turn their light on or off? Cause that's ultimately what you're, what you're trying to do. At least, at least in your lens of, of working with clients, you're trying to turn their light on and help them see their own light. So that's really cool. Um, Natasha, tell us a little bit about your journey, because I know one thing about you is you're a registered nurse and that's not, that's not often something we put together with a branding specialist. That's done all the things you've done in the business world for helping organizations in, impact their brand. Let's, uh, let's get to know you a little bit better and just kind of tell us how you've gotten to this place in your leadership journey. Absolutely. So you're absolutely right. I knew at the very young age, very, very young age, I was probably not even 10 yet. I knew that I was going to be a nurse. I knew that I wanted to take care of people. And I followed that pathway uh, for myself. And I went to school, I got my degree, um, worked my way up in nursing and was one of the youngest um, trauma nurses and emergency room nurses that, were, that was on the floor. And while I was there, um, I filled a lot of leadership seats and being able to support. I worked on the American Heart Association initiatives where we were developing um, programs and treatments to treat congestive heart failure patients, facilitated that. I did a lot of training and preceptor um, initiatives when we brought in new, you know, our new nurses that were joining a hospital. I was always, you know, hands up. I want to be a preceptor, which is another form of leadership and training. And after being in nursing a while, I, I tell people I got bit by the entrepreneurship bug. And I'm telling you what, that bug sunk deep into me and never let up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I tried to shake it off, but it did not let up. And I really began to just appreciate that new journey of where I was going. And I took everything that I had um, and that I learned and that I developed as a registered nurse um, saving lives. And I transitioned that over and I coupled that with the ability to save companies. Um, so now I'm able to work with companies, look at the strategic move of the company, look at performance gaps, look at also the sustainability goals. And at the end of the day, what I do is help companies to align the performance of their company with the vision of the leader. As a leader, we all have a vision and an idea and a goal and a desire for what we want our companies and our organizations to do. Oftentimes, we find that the performance of that company is not in alignment with the vision of the leader. And like with myself, my team and I, we come in to close that gap because it can be closed. We just need to identify what really is wrong and we close that gap so that the company can perform. Well, that's great. And I, I like the the connection to nursing there. It's it's like it's triage. It's coming yes. in and saying, okay, here's what's wrong. And here's the, you know, here's the prescription. Uh, yeah. here's, here's what you can do to fix that. I like that. Yeah, um, yeah. 
Natasha, what is branding and what isn't branding? It's one of these terms, you know, that we throw around a lot. And I, I find that, and maybe I don't fully understand it. I, I like to think that I do, but I, I know a lot of my clients may not um, because there's, you know, you have branding, you have marketing, you have PR, you have communications, you have advertising, you have graphic design, you have brand experience. There's all these terms that seem related Yes. How do you define branding of an organization and what are some of the maybe misconceptions about what it is and isn't? Awesome. Awesome. So the first thing I like to do is uncomplicate the complexity around it because branding in itself can be very complex because there's so many layers and dimensions to it. So the first thing I like to do is uncomplicate it. So branding is really about being relevant around now decisions. When we think of our company, are you relevant around a now decision? So let's say that, um, you know, let's just pick any industry. Let's say we have a restaurant somewhere. I am a consumer and I'm hungry and I want something really delicious and I want something really yummy. Well, I have to then think of who can take care of that need for me? What restaurant do I know of that can take care of that need for me? So I have to have a brand that pops in my mind because the decision that I'm about to make right now is about to be tied to a brand that I've been exposed to and that I love and that I respect and that I enjoy. So when we think of a brand, a brand is about being relevant around now decisions. Now, when we go into that 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 area, branding has a strategic side and branding has a creative component. The disconnect that happens in a lot of industries, a lot of companies is so much emphasis and energy is put on the creative side mm. that they neglect the strategic side. Mm -hmm. And what then happens is we're not really hitting the targets, the milestones, the goals, the KPIs, because all of the energy was placed on the creative side. It's very easy to get aligned with a new logo and colors and a new website, a new pamphlet. However, when we have to stop and say, was this pamphlet, was this website, was this ad, was this logo designed to be in alignment with the strategic movement that we're this, this, um, destined to go into. If we are creating a lot of this creative move for a brand and it wasn't directly tied or coming out of a strategic move, the cost and the time is going to be a lot more and the return on investment is going to be significantly less. You're opening up so many new questions for me and I'm trying to have to, I'm doing triage now to figure out what we have time, what we have time for. Um, yes, I think, I think this is uh, a really important space to hang out in for a moment because yep. when you talk about the collateral materials of an organization, you mentioned the, the brochure and the things like that, you know, we, I, I came up in the United Way network in my nonprofit experience before I launched my coaching business and we had collateral galore. First of all, yeah. we had an international brand and brand recognition. So we didn't have to design our own logo and font and color scheme, but we did have to make sure that our collateral materials represented those consistencies properly. Right. And we would often hire people who were good at the collateral materials, someone who could do graphic design, someone who was good at video editing. Now it's, you know, how good are you at social media and autoresponder email stuff and customer relationship management software. And those are the creative sides or maybe even the technical sides as well. But I love what you said about, we have to match it up with the strategic side. Who is it we're even trying to be, be seen by and heard by and what will resonate with them in order to get them to engage with us and that's that brand experience. You know, when you talk about the restaurant, I mean, my brand, my, my decision about what restaurant am I going to go to when I'm hungry has a whole lot to do with my brand experience yes. with restaurants. 
I know what, what do I experience each time I'm there? That's my brand. I mean that, or that's what I think your brand is. No matter what your logo is, it's what I experience with you becomes your brand with me. Is that fair to say? It's, it's, it's exactly, that is exactly what it is because, and we can just, just because it's easier for people to align with. If I sit here and I say, man, I want a, a really delicious, yummy burger with really good French fries, but I don't want a fast food experience. I want a sit down restaurant experience. Mm-hmm. Your brain is going to go somewhere. That's right. Right. If I, you know, if I say, man, I want a, I want a gourmet cup of coffee that every sip I'm I'm just savoring every sip. Well, you're not going to the local gas station. Your brain doesn't say, let me run into the local gas station and get a cup of coffee. You're thinking of an experience that you want to have. So when we talk about that brand, that is my way that I have coined the term. How do we simplify it? Because it has so many dimensions and layers is how do I be relevant around now decisions and how, and when I'm doing that, am I tying my day-to-day operations to my strategic plan, to the strategic movement of my company? I have found over the past, you know, 16 plus years of being in business, a lot of companies have not linked their strategy and their operations um, to some form of a to KPIs, right? There's been no link to it. If someone says, hey, get up a new website because we don't have enough web visitors and we need more web visitors. Well, that's pretty generic, but the question that never got answered is why? Why do you need more web visitors and what do you want them to get? And when they who come? are they? And who are they? Yeah, who do you want to visit? Yeah. None of the why questions get answered. So when we talk about linking strategy to operations, right, those day-to-day operations, we're talking about outcomes and outputs. And outcomes and outputs is only going to be developed in the place of strategy. If a nonprofit says, listen, we need to acquire sponsors because we have an initiative that we're rolling out or we have a program. We can't just leave it there. We have to say, okay, strategically, the purpose of this initiative or this program is to do X, X, and Y. So therefore, we need to raise this much capital, or we have to do this, raise this much money to to allow this to roll out. Now we lean into, okay, what type of sponsors do we need? Because they're not only bringing the money, but they're also bringing access and they're bringing manpower and they're bringing talent. They're going to help to make sure that the initiative or the program is robust, but also guess what? It's successful. And one experience is going to serve as a gateway for the next experience. Exactly. So these sponsors that you're engaging, they have a brand experience with you as well. um, It through that, through that deal. Um, I love the term relevant um, and, and being relevant uh, for now decisions. I think, uh, I just mentioned, I spent 20 years with the United Way Network and went through a rebranding during that part of that international, um, you know, that movement, the network, you know, because we were branded at a time where the font, the colors and the message were really relevant in the sixties and the seventies and, and maybe even the Mm eighties and then started to lose relevance because people started saying, I don't know about a community chest model anymore where we just, (laughs) where we just give our money to United way and trust them to just spit it out to good agencies. So in United ways rebrand, it wasn't just freshening up the logo and the font, which were really important to do to say, Hey, we're, by the way, we're still alive in the two thousands too. And we're keeping up with the times and, and we're adjusting as we need to. But today, the United Way brand is not intended to be, we're a fundraising organization and we're a middleman. Now the United Way brand is seeking to be, we're a collective impact organization. We convene multiple players and partners to yes. solve big problems in our community. So yes. the messaging changes, the experience changes. We had a, um, I'll say this for your uh, intrigue and for our listeners. We had a, a national leader years ago, spoke at one of our United Way conferences. This is 20, over 20 years ago. 
And he said, unfortunately, we still have some local United Ways. You know, you think of the United Way logo. Most people, you know, in, in, most listeners to this show probably can picture the United Way logo, the hand that's reaching out and the 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 almost stick figure person that's that's there in the hand and then the rainbow over the over the figure. And he said, most people experience this brand. They look at the logo and what they see is this big giant hand that rises up out of the ground every fall season in the workplace, takes everybody's money and disappears back into the ground until next fall. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, and, and he said, and that's because our brand experience is, has been historically, people know United Way through their workplace giving campaign every fall but they don't often know what all that money does and what it accomplishes. So today his point was we've got to shift that brand to being you are part of a helping hand that's lifting and, and making things. So I, I love the relevance comment. I also have, have done some work with Habitat for Humanity. And if you look yeah. at that organization, there's another international brand. And what do you think of when you think Habitat for Humanity? Well, you know, Habitat, I've done some work with Habitat for mm -hmm. Humanity and, and to see the shift um, that that particular brand has made. And yeah. I, appreciate, I appreciate what they've done because sometimes um, a nonprofit will think that they don't have to do branding. They don't have to do anything because they're helping the community. Right. We're a charity. In fact, in fact, we think we can't do branding because that's spending overhead dollars and our donors don't want us spending money on branding. Exactly. Now, here's the thing. That's probably the furthest thing from the truth, because, again, if you're going to be relevant around those now decisions that requires branding, that requires positioning. Right. And one of the things that Habitat for Humanity realize is here we are stepping into this this place and we have a whole bunch of people that either don't know what we do or they only know bits and pieces or they only show up once in a while. Well, the, the organization realized we can't function like that. We can't function once in a while or only when you remember us or only when we need something. We have to show up and be a part of, of the day-to-day -day thought process. We have to become a habit. And that is, the, that is the sweet spot in brand positioning and in branding is becoming a habit. Every single company that sets out to serve the community in whatever capacity has to realize the goal is to elevate to become a habit. And that requires thinking all the way from beginning to end. What are we doing? How are we showing up? How do we serve people? What's the return on investment we're looking for? What are we going to do five years, 10 years from now? See, because Patrick, remember, all of the things that we're doing in this particular year, we're not going to feel the heavy weight of it, the true fruits of the labor, the return on investment for at least two to three years from now. That's when you're going to feel the real kick of what's been done. And I always say to people, you know, the decisions you make today you realize you're not going to feel the brunt of it for another five years. In five years, you're going to say, wow, we did a, we, we made a good decision because mm. five years ago, when or we a bad one <laughs> or a bad one or mm. a bad decision, because five years ago, here's where we were. Like, let's take, for example, an oldie, but goodie, right? Y'all remember crazy Eddie's crazy Eddie's the electronic store. I don't. You don't. Okay. Mm -hmm. There's a reason for that. Cause they were, they didn't keep their brand together. Well, crazy <laughs> Eddie's, <laughs> crazy Eddie's was this really awesome electronic store. A lot of it was up North emerged about the 1970s. They lasted up until the 1980s. Now crazy Eddie's was one of the places you would always go to for electronics. When the, a federal investigation opened up because they were you know, doing funny money business, <laughs> like a funny money business. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, their brand took a hit and they never recovered. They thought that, please, the, audio, the, the marketplace, the people, they love us. We're crazy Eddies. They want what we have. Well, I'll tell you that they, they lost quickly, lost brand positioning, lost brand equity, lost brand loyalty, and they were out of business before the 1990s. I think they were out of business by 1987 or 1988. Even when we think about um, like the brand merry-go-round for yeah. kids, it yeah. was a, a 
right? It was famous, but guess what they positioned themselves to be famous for? Short-lived fashion fads. So for a, for a family that's looking for quality items that's going to stand the test of time where I don't have to keep buying a new wardrobe every season or every year, well, merry-go-round put themselves out of market. And even though they tried to make a comeback by adding um, more product line, by, by the mid-1990s, they were gone gone, like not even to be remembered. Yeah. So when, so when we talk about these things and we talk about, I like to say, let's pay attention to what's happening with our brand and with our company. We have to pay attention to it because even a nonprofit can be here today and completely gone, never remembered tomorrow. Well, back to the Habitat for Humanity. I mean, people knew that as this charity, which by the way, is a is a brand constraining word in, in my opinion, we won't go there, but, but, but charity that has a brand of its, of its own. And we, we knew Habitat as a charity who built houses for poor people. Right. And that, that, that was the brand. And you, you know, you, you could volunteer to go help build a house and that made you feel really good. Um, you know, you knew that Jimmy Carter, president Carter was, was big into Habitat. That was part of their brand. But it was all about building houses one at a time. And, you know, eventually it got to the point where people said, look, I appreciate what they're doing, but I mean, one house at a time is not going to, you know, fix homelessness in our community. So their brand now is about homes and hope. Their brand now is we're at the community tables to talk about affordable housing and multi multifamily units. And, mm-hmm. you know, this isn't just about a, a, a neat volunteer experience that makes people feel good. This is about solving a housing crisis across, solving a, a across problem. the country. And, okay. and so they've, they, I, in my opinion, anyway, they've done a good job. Now Habitat is like all the other national organizations. They're sometimes only as good as each local uh, affiliate or chapter or, or organization. Uh, they're not all created equal, but, but I, I, the ones that I'm working with have done a really good job of shifting that brand again, to remain relevant. To remain relevant. And, and that is really, really important. I, you know, the thing that every, every nonprofit must, must discuss, what do we solve? What is it that we're solving? Not what are we doing, but what are we solving? What is it that we are either creating or taking mm-hmm. away? Because mm-hmm. if, if, if a nonprofit comes to, to feed the homeless, that means you're taking away hunger and you're giving access to food, you're giving nutrition, right? You're giving the basics of need. So if a nonprofit exists to, to feed, yes, what you do is you have feeding initiatives, you have food pantries, that's what we do. But what is it that you solve? And every nonprofit must sit down and ask themselves on a routine basis, if not every quarter, every six months, I believe that strategic planning should take place every six months. And let me tell you before doing strategic plans once a year was okay. But you see, post the pandemic, looking at the strategic plan and really making sense out of it and linking the strategy to operations needs to occur every six months. Because the world we're living in now is turning so fast and things are evolving and changing so fast. We can't sit down and wait a year or two years to go look at a strategic plan. I remember there was an article that Forbes released um, about about four or five years ago. And at the time, the study found that one in five nonprofits did not function with a current strategic plan. One in five. Now, when we have one in five nonprofits that's operating without a current strategic plan, well, what are they working off of then? Well, you're, you're, uh, you're so in my world right now (laughs) with what you're talking about. Um, And I'll give you, I'll give you one, I'll give you one further. I don't even think it's every six months. I think it's literally every board meeting is focused on the strategic plan, which is a living, moving, breathing document. Because I, I view strategy not as an event, but as a continuum. And, and, and I've got, I'll, I'll, I'll throw the model out there right now. A lot of the listeners have heard this, um, but I've got five questions that, that I recommend every board ask at every meeting. And all five questions start with the phrase, with regard to our strategic plan. 
And the questions are, where are we? What's next? What's changed? What's new? And what else? And what that does is you can't, to your point, you can't wait. I mean, most, most organizations don't even do this annually. They look at three to five years, they bring their board together and say, Oh, it's time to think about our strategy again. I'm like, no, you're way, you missed it. Right. (laughs) You should do something with this. Right. And I'll tell you research that I've conducted says that about 13% of organizations spend more than half their board time at the strategic level. Yes, that's dismal. you're right. And by the way, that's about three hours a year. So I, my, my study looked at, you know, how often does your board meet? How long does your board meet? And how much time do you spend at the strategic level? And it comes down on average that your board of governors, your directing body spends about three year, three hours a year mm-hmm. helping mm-hmm. you think about and drive and monitor and, and adapt their strategy. So you're singing my tune here. I'm, I'm glad you're saying it's absolutely right. And I'll tell you something else. When you say that nonprofits have to know their, you know, their, what, what it is they're solving or what it is they're creating. One of the questions I ask in board retreats all the time is why is your organization here? That's a, that is a phenomenal question. And you know, but but here's the answer I get is that they answer it with the word to, to do this, to provide services for such and such to, you know, to, and, and my, and I come back to them and I say, you're answering a why question with a what answer. What answer? When Mm -hmm. you ask a why question, the first word out of the respondent's mouth should be because. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, that's exactly what you're talking about. And I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I just wanted to finish that thought. Yeah, no, I mean, it, but it's it speaks to exactly what we're talking about. And I feel, the, here's what I feel. I feel that most companies, they want to, they want to do strategy. They think that they are having a strategic meeting or a strategic plan. They think they have a roadmap, but a lot of times what they have is their very reaction. There's a lot of reaction. There's not a lot of proactivity. Yeah. There is such a huge difference in, in really looking at, the plan of action, the roadmap for where we're taking our company versus here's what we're doing today or this month or this quarter. Here's what we're doing. Here's what we have done. We also have companies that are running their organizations primarily off of lagging indicators, which is a huge problem because nothing is leading the company, everything is reactive, reactive. And so having a proactive perspective to the company, to the nonprofit is, is massive, absolutely massive. So I agree with you there wholeheartedly. And we have, we're in alignment with the questions that we ask. It sounds very simple, but these are such powerful questions that we ask those top five questions we ask in a strategy session, or just, just open up the mind, but yet they are some of the most complex ones to answer because they don't have an answer to it. Right. Yeah. You got to co-create the answers on the spot. And or in the moment or over a series of moments. Yeah, it's not a plug and play. It's not a fill in the blank. You know, here's the template. Here's the SWOT analysis. Here's the five strategies. It's got to be a conversation about what's important, what's relevant. uh, Again, what's new, what's changed, what's next um, in order in order to thrive and and stay alive, because nonprofits die just like uh, for profits do if they're if they don't remain relevant. And so it's amazing how all of this that we're talking about has to do with, with branding, which, which, which (laughs) most people don't think that they don't, they don't, they don't, in fact, (laughs) (laughs) this is a podcast about leadership. So I would love to hear from you, Natasha, how do you connect leadership with branding? You're doing branding work with these companies. How does that relate to leadership, particularly the sort of top leadership of the organization? How does, how do leadership, where do they intersect? Yeah, absolutely. So with leadership, the first thing that we look at is um, we always ask, do you know why you're here? Do you know why you're here? And even if they're the owner of the company, do you know why you're here? And once you know why you're here, that begins to open up the eyes and the mind to what should be taking place. You mean when when you say, do you know why you're here? You're talking about the individual now. Correct. Okay, correct. Correct. So we talk to the leader and we ask the leader, do you know why you're here? And we always get that look of, what do you mean? I own it, or I'm the founder, or I'm the executive director, or I'm, no, 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 no. 
but do you know why you're here? What were you brought here and what, what were you brought here to create or to do or to, to make happen? So then we go to the next place of making sure that we identify the competency gaps. Every leader has a, has a performance and a competency gap. The leader who cannot identify it is the most dangerous leader in the building. Right. We call them blind spots huge blind spots, right? They're the most dangerous person. So when we, when we sit down with a leader and say, do you know why you're here? And they're like, okay, I I'm here because I started the company or here because I'm elected. No, let's kind of go a little bit deeper. We then shift over because we help them to understand leadership is not about a title or about a degree. It has nothing to do with your title it has nothing to do with your degree, right? right? It's not about the number of team members we have, right? It's about the intention put to your day, your, your decisions. It's the attention that you bring to the table. And then we help them to see, here's where my performance gaps are, or my competency gaps are, because everyone has them. And only good leaders can transfer strength. Good leaders can transfer wisdom. Good leaders transfer hope and they transfer knowledge. So when we help a leader um, to really to elevate who they are, we take them through our model called the lead next model. And that's a model that I created because once I realized that we had a plethora of individuals that were moving around, however, no one forced them to stop and look at themselves as a leader. As a leader, we should be grooming the next group of people. Of leaders. Of leaders. Yeah. Right. And it's not for us to take our seat and just sit there and, you know, be a leader, (laughs) have the title of leader. That's not what it is. We really are supposed to be putting ourselves in a place that we grow as a leader, but also how am I grooming the next group of people to be leaders? Do I identify them? How do I groom them? How do I, how do I transfer that knowledge and support that decision. So we take them through our lead next um, program, uh, which is a part of branding. The other thing we look at is looking at the leader as an executive brand, as themselves. A company is not independent and separate from the leader brand. And that's something that I like to talk about very specifically. We can't have a, a leader who is mean, unkind, ornery, impatient, just out of, just really in in discord with what the brand presents to do. So we say we have a nonprofit that says we're about love and care and we're about patience and, you know, we're here to help. But yet when we internally encounter the leader, the leader has no patience. They're always yelling. They're, they're running like a chicken without a head. They're disorganized. Mm. Yeah, the video doesn't match the audio and it trust and trust goes down. Trust goes down. So we have to bridge those gaps. And so when we identify why are you here, then we identify the performance and competency gaps. Now we have to take them through the full extent of the lead next program because that helps to elevate them. That bridges the gap between people, knowledge, goals, and communication. And we all know the great demise of any strategy, of any plan, of any team is communication. The left hand never told the right hand what to do. The right hand said, well, I'm going to do what I want to do. The left hand's doing what they want to do. And they never come on one accord. The best way to get a company moving in the right direction is to streamline communication That's good. You know, I think the best example of, of leadership connecting to a brand is you were talking about the audio, not matching the video. And that the scenario you were painting there is, I don't think there's any clearer illustration of this than when a leader of a nonprofit, um, goes really sour and, and it affects the entire nonprofit brand so that the next leader that comes in, you know, the board finally realizes and says, Oh, we got to get rid of this person. This is bad. Right. New person comes in and in many cases, too late. It's too it's late. Too late. Yeah. It doesn't, you can't rip it. Like the building up of the trust that is lost has now damaged 
the brand of the entire organization, not just, it's not like people go, Oh, that, that, that leader of that great brand, I'm glad they're gone. It's more of, Oh, did you, did you hear what happened at the such and such organization? It's the brand that, that, that leadership connects to good or bad. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why when we see a company and an organization that is in the public eye doing poorly, that's why the leader will always step up and resign voluntarily or involuntarily. They will resign them because the leader is the one that is guiding the ship. The leader is the one that's making the decisions at the top and it's being what disseminated and communicated from top down. Who's doing what? And then here's the other piece. Why is it being done? Have we ever entered into an organization where we have five people doing the same thing, but the five people never talk and they're all doing it their own way? But yet still, we never get to the end goal ever. Well, now that's happening at a macro level, too, where organizations that are trying to get collaboration to happen in a community, um, in, in the social sector, it's very much this way. Almost every client that I work with is talking about how they're part of an ecosystem to solve <laughs> a problem. And yeah. so it, it's not it can't just be us. But we have all of these different players. I mean, government's trying to solve, let's take homelessness, for example. Yes, you got governmental yes. entities trying to solve it. You got business economic development trying to just, you know, push it aside and pretend it doesn't exist or move it to another part of the community. You got the faith-based community trying to, to step up and, and bring the charitable aspect to it. You have the nonprofit community that's trying to get to root causes. Everyone's trying to do it, but they're all doing it in silos and not yeah. together. And what you're talking about is that happens inside an organization as well as it does in a community. It sure does. It absolutely does. Silos are so, they're just so disruptive and they're also very destructive. So not only are they disruptive, but they're also destructive because once we're in a silo, that means that communication is completely fragmented and disjointed immediately because we can't have silos yet still we have effective communication inside of that silo it, we may have we may have good communication possibly but not necessarily but once you step outside of that that means that we have pockets of everyone doing their own thing and no one is on the same track no one is on is not even in the same vehicle we all got into separate vehicles and we're in separate lanes and we're hoping we're going to get to the same destination yet we are all reading different maps oh this is good because now you're talking about another dimension of branding which is internal branding Yes. I tell my clients every piece of communication, your, your emails to your board telling them when the next board meeting is, every piece of communication is an opportunity to brand your organization. And we miss it because we just, we put out the quick email, you know, Hey, here's the zoom link or here's the board, here's the board agenda in times new Roman 12 point font, double spaced, you know, left aligned. It's like, no, how do, this is a branding opportunity. And we often don't think about branding internally. We have internal stakeholders, our own employees need to have a consistent experience with the brand. Use the word habit. I love that. Um, and so when you're in these silos and these communication lines are being broken or, you know, um, t twisted at, at the worst, um, you're, that's affecting your brand because you're, you have an inconsistent brand experience inside the organization. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I agree. I agree. I think that where we are, um, most people have to and on organizations have to step back and say, here's the reality. We have an internal brand and we have an external brand. Here's the other reality. And I like to tell people, the moment you think of your brand as a person is the moment you will now raise the level of respect for that organization to a whole nother level. One of the things that I translate to uh, clients I work with and also when I'm speaking is to help companies to speak about their organization as a person. So when we think about the brand, the brand is a noun. 
That's the noun, person, place, or thing. Mm -hmm. Branding, that's the verb. Those are the actions that we take in order to make sure that this person is going in the right direction. So when you think of a brand, the brand is the noun and branding is the verb. Those are the actions that we're taking. The moment we think of our brand as a person and we give it a voice and a soul, we begin to raise the level of respect and intent that we have with that organization. That's what takes an organization from um, 2 million to 10 million. Mm. That's what takes an organization from five team members to 50 team members, one location to 10 locations, because now you're looking at it as a person. It ha- that, that brand has a voice. It has a soul. It has a purpose. And you are advancing it. As a person. Yeah. Um, Oh, I I love that. Um, Let me get to, let me shift gears if I can to some of the technical sides of branding. Um, And, and in your, in one of your books, I can't remember which one it was. I think it was the, um, the, the 25 valuable golden nuggets, which by the way, um, again, I want to remind the the listeners here to go to um, impactbrandingconsulting.org look up Natasha Davis. You can see her on Amazon as well, but there's a number of really great books here that, that I love the overlap in these books between branding and leadership and strategy and personal, um, freedom. <laughs> you know, I mean, so many of these things, uh, really relate, but somewhere in, and I think in the golden nuggets, you mentioned, you know, CEO search engine optimization, yes. uh, a lot of organizations struggle with the technical aspect of, of branding, you know, um, making sure that our website shows up in the, in the, you know, and what it says and what, what are people searching for when they come across our website? What would you say for nonprofits, most of whom would tell you, you know, we don't have the millions of dollars to spend that big companies have on, you know, Google ads and placement and SEO optimization and Facebook advertising. And, you know, we, we don't, and all the great fancy tools that are out there. What would be, in your view, maybe the the top, I don't know, three or four tips or things that any and all nonprofits can and should pay attention to when it comes to the technicals of branding? What What are the things that if you don't have the millions of dollars to spend the things that you really need to keep in mind when it, when it comes to, um, putting your brand out there? Absolutely. So I I can 100% resonate with an organization that says we have to, we can't spend that type of money because rightfully so it does take a, a fair amount of money. However, there are options, there are opportunities to that. So let's talk a little bit about SEO, search engine optimization. Search engine optimization is even more important now than it was even before. Because the internet has become the primary and to some extent, the only pathway or gateway to find an organization. So search engine optimization has many different components that we can step into, but let's talk about some of the simple, straightforward things that can be done. Here's what I want to um, give perspective to. When we talk about moving a company forward, we're talking about marketing a company, putting a company in place. Marketing is a psychological connection with the marketplace. You have to use inbound and outbound marketing activities. So when we talk about SEO, search engine optimization is directly tied to the connectivity to a marketplace. What can be done? The most important thing that can and should be done to any website that any nonprofit website is make sure you have information that is updating on the website, if not every week, every two weeks, at least every month. What does that mean? That means somebody in the organization should be able to write 500 words, 800 words on something of relevance and something of value that either the organization is doing, the organization has done, or the organization is supporting. We can write 500 or 800 words once a month. Where do you put that? You put that on a section called blogs for the website. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of people think that, oh my goodness, I have to do all this stuff. No, you don't. 
You just need to write. Let people know what's new, what's trending, what's happening. That's number one. The let, second let me thing- let me pause right there because um, is that and I I don't know the, the the technicals of all this. I get the concept of it, but the idea of keeping fresh content on your digital real estate that's out there on the internet. Yes. Is it that, that each time you add content, it's pinging the web again to say, Hey, there's new stuff here from natashadavis.com. And so, so it starts to show up more because, because the, 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 algorithms are seeing that con because I've heard that all the time that keep your content, you know, write, write weekly. If you're doing a blog, do a podcast, you know, weekly or bi-weekly and, and your video channels and everything to keep it, to keep the habit of consistency out there. Is it that fresh content pings the algorithms and increases your chances of, of the web sort of recognizing you more? Is that the basic concept of it? That is the basic concept of it. So when we're on the internet, they call them, um, you got crawlers, you got Google bots. They sound really weird, like, oh my God, stay away, but yeah. you actually don't want to stay away from that, right? Um, crawlers and Google bots are your friend. However, when we have a website that's up and it has not been touched in a year, six months, nothing new, you, you put mm. it up there, nothing's changed. Every time the Google bots, crawl your website, it doesn't find anything new. It doesn't find anything fresh from the original time that Perfect. the site went up. Perfect. So yeah. therefore you have no way to index on the, on the search engines. Okay. Here's the other thing. The algorithms have significantly changed in the past few years. You, you cannot buy your way to the top. You can't do it. You can, you can put a lot of money to it and try to fight it, but the company that has the best search engine optimization strategy is the company that is going to win. That's really it. So if you want to buy your way to the top, you're going to be dumping money into the trash. The algorithms have changed. So when we're writing content, you write content with the intent to not only educate the marketplace, but knowing that someone is searching for something. Here's a perfect way to think about this when you write content. If I were searching for this type of information, how would I search for it? What would I say to find it? You take that concept and that gets rolled into your messaging, into your paragraphs, yeah. And your right. titles and your URLs and your, yeah. your image yeah. names of your images. Right. Yes. Tie it all together. Okay. So SEO is one. I, 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 I want to get to maybe two or three, three of the other without, we don't have to go too technical in it, but I actually went down that road with you. So I apologize for that. <laughs> so that's on you, Patrick, but I, I want to give it to them. Right. So SEO is one. Here's the other thing. Um, the landing pages, landing pages are pivotal to search engine optimization, and it makes a huge difference. You get landing pages to speak specifically to something on your site. So let's say, for example, the nonprofit has a new program or a new initiative that's rolling out. Well, the information about that initiative is on the website. However, the website has a designated landing page that whenever someone is looking for this particular program, they're going to go to a landing page. They're going to land right there. And then it's going to backlink right to your website. That's a great way to also, in a very low cost way, to up the ante on your digital footprint. So that's number two. I'm going to give you another one. When you are on social media, as you should be, <laughs> right? Not probably when you, as you should be, you have to make sure that your social media, again, is fresh, up-to-date content. Don't post once a week or twice a week or three times a week and think that you're doing great things because you're not. It actually isn't moving the needle at all. And I'm going to say something, and I know this is going to really shake a couple people, but this is the reality of it. <laughs> shake us up. On social media, you must be posting a minimum, a minimum of once per day on each and every platform that you are on. So if your organization is on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter, then you should be posting a minimum of once per day at, at various times in the day on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Now, these don't have to be long posts, right? No, yeah. no, not at all. 
all. They don't have to be long posts, but you need to say something and you can backlink them to your website. That yeah. it, it also creates engagement with your audience, but also it puts you on the web. Because remember, these engines out here, they're constantly moving. Now, here's one that I'll say. If you're not, if, if you're on one platform, you need to at least be on YouTube. You need to at least be on YouTube. You must have a YouTube page. It doesn't take, it doesn't take a lot to have a very nice, healthy, happy YouTube page. If you're just doing some videos around the, the office, here's what we're doing. You can have a very nice page, but YouTube is, is a, think of YouTube as when I'm looking for something, I go to YouTube. I look for something. I look for information. I look for something on YouTube. The executive director of a nonprofit or maybe a director of a department or the assistant to the director can have a weekly or a daily from the desk of or highlights from right of the organization and you can post literally three minute four minute runs on a, a video right on youtube and make sure that backlinks to your website but youtube is a really important way now that's those are very low cost to zero cost i should say ways to really beef up your search engine optimization those are really good and and i will uh, throw a, a tip out there that i know there's a lot of different platforms and i i don't make any money by naming any of them in particular but you so i use a program called buffer and mm -hmm. and you, you go on it you can link all your social media accounts in one place post a message schedule it you can build a month's worth of posts Yes. In in thirty minutes, I, I do a. I happen to have one. It's called Coaching Question of the Day, Perfect. and three hundred and sixty five days a year. Twitter, my Facebook, my LinkedIn. That same question goes out to all of those, and I don't have to sit and oh, I haven't put a post up this morning. I have oh, it's almost nighttime and I haven't done a post today. I just take a, a time thirty minutes and I I pre populate it and then I hit run. Yes. And, and that, and it is not expensive at all. In fact, there's, I think there's a free version of it, but, um, I, I concur and the YouTube, what a great thing too. And, you know, I notice um, there, there are so many ways to have a YouTube channel. Some people, you know, what's popular now is people sitting in their cars, you know, talking onto their phones, you know, to be, uh, I, I was, I still don't know what that is. It's, it's a thing, right? People sitting in their cars <laughs> doing these. And, um, but I mean, it costs nothing, nothing. Yes. Yes. Except, yes. Uh, but it does take yeah. a little bit of time and nonprofits. Mm -hmm. What a great video is a fantastic outlet for nonprofits to tell stories. They're all, they're all talking about, we got to do better at storytelling and, and having a YouTube channel is a great way to do it. It is just tell the story and be authentic. That's really important. Just be authentic and tell the story. Um, and, and I want people to think of this three things, right? These are three things I want y'all to think about when you're talking about you know, moving the company, SEO, marketing. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Remember, branding comes before marketing. Mm -hmm. Marketing comes before advertising. Mm -hmm. When you're branding, this is the strategic promise and the position you're in the marketplace. When you're marketing, you're doing the psychological connection with the marketplace. And when you're advertising, you are creating an equalizer in the industry because advertising is considered a great equalizer in the industry. So you brand first, then you market, then you advertise. Let me throw one more in there and ask you where you would put it. Where do you put PR? PR actually sits under marketing. PR sits under marketing. In order to have an effective PR campaign, you have to have known the strategic brand so that you'll know what kind of PR you're looking for. If I know that my brand is growing to be a national um, um, offering, I'm, I'm trying to do an, a national reach, therefore my PR strategy has to focus on making a national reach. The media I'm getting into, the places I'm gonna show up. It also helps you be careful to not to show up in the wrong places. So PR, a lot of people think it's branding. It's not branding. It's a form of marketing. I have to know what my strategic move is before I put any PR strategy anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Boy, I, this is good. I, I hope our <laughs> listeners understand the value 
of the content they're getting right now that normally they would have to pay for. Um, <laughs> and, and let's, uh, let's get them to your website. And, and, uh, so any, anyone that wants to dig a little deeper, certainly you can do that. Um, go to impactbrandingconsulting.org and learn more about what Natasha can do for you. She does work with nonprofits. A couple more questions for you, Natasha, that I ask all my guests. And the first one is, um, can you think of a leader or two in your life or your work history or whatever, who you would say have had um, a great influence or impact on your leadership philosophy and practice today and why? Oh, yes, absolutely. So the first leader in my life um, is my father. Um, He passed away two and a half years ago, truly my best friend, my business mentor. Um, And he guided me in two different ways. He guided me on what good business is. And he also guided me on what not to do in business. And those were very interesting ways in which he taught me that because sometimes he would be doing something and he would say, sweetheart, see this, what I'm doing, you do not do this. I've gotten so far into this. I don't even have a way out right now. So this, what I'm doing, you don't do this. (laughs) And I'd look, I'm like, well, why don't you stop doing it? He goes, it's too late. If I stop doing this now, it's going to take too much for me to hand this over. It's too much to do. Hmm. That was his thought. So he taught me what to do and what not to do. He also taught me how to be extremely, extremely just not only competent, but confident in who I am and what I'm doing. And he taught me how to be humble. I'm naturally a humble person, but he taught me how to be very humble. And I'll tell you a quick, quick story real quick. And I'll tell you my other men- my other mentor in life. I remember when I published my first book, I was so excited and I had hired um, a publicist to help me out. And on my first book signing of my first book, I had less than seven people show up. And I was devastated. I said, I cannot believe this. And I called him and I was boohooing and, you know, I was serving up wine and cheese, baby. I was just whining <laughs> about everything. And he said to me, after I finished with my moment, he said to me, he said, you have a nerve. And I'm like, daddy. And he goes, yeah, you have a nerve. He says, you should be grateful those people showed up. You're not anybody. Nobody knows you. And you wrote a book and and they came to support your your book. You should be grateful. He says, as a matter of fact, you should pay them gas fare for coming out to see you. (laughs) That's good. I was like, daddy. And he's like, I am proud of you that you wrote your book. He says, but you will never get a big head to the point that you are not grateful for the little. And that taught me so much. So I am so grateful for everything, small beginnings, big, big moves. I'm grateful for every bit. So that's number one. My second, my second mentor who has completely shaped me is actually a mentor of mine. Um, His name is Ron, Ron Escoffrey, and he has completely shifted my mind and shifted my way of thinking um, to the point where I, I don't think like a, like a, a, a boxed in person. He's taught me to think of wealth development and, and um, business growth on a whole nother level, a massive level. And um, he has completely shaped me and shifted my thought process. Um, and I, I'm just so grateful uh, for him. Um, and I, I have to say there is another one, um, Bernie, Bernie Dorman, he passed away last year and he was pivotal. He taught me how to be a beast in business taught me how to be a beast in business. So I was taught to be humble, how to think about acceleration, but also how to be a beast. And those were the three persons that shifted me. That's so good. And you know, I, I love that you, you juxtapose humility with being a beast Yeah. because <laughs> you, yes, be humble, but also be confident, yeah. you know, that you can have a swagger in your step about who you are because you're clear about your purpose and you know, you're adding value to the world but yes. you don't get so far ahead of yourself that you don't appreciate the seven people that come to a book signing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, so <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate that. A long time ago, I don't remember where it was. I think it was like, you know, hashtag life tip or something. And it just said, no one cares about your blog. 
<laughs> you know, we put all the, everybody puts these stories out there about their lives. Like nobody cares. And if somebody does, then they truly do care. And yes. you, and that's, that's who you're looking for. And that's who you can be grateful to. So I love it. My final question for you, Natasha, is another question I ask all my guests. And that is if you had one thing to tell all the leaders of the world, like this is the Natasha Davis 22nd top tenet of leadership that we all need to keep in mind as leaders, what would that be? Honestly, it would be remain authentic to yourself and never, never apologize for your progress. I had, a, I had a, a, an inkling you were going to use the word authentic because, <laughs> because it's in your writings. It's in your book yes. about being your authentic self. And um, yes. Natasha, thank you for bringing your authentic self to this show today. Uh, you've added tremendous value for our listeners and I've learned from you today. I greatly appreciate the time. What a great conversation. Oh, thank you so much. It was really a joy to be here and to serve your listeners. Thank you so much. Uh, this has just been so cool. Go to impactbrandingconsulting.org. And a reminder, uh, Natasha does work with nonprofits. So if you're talking about branding in your organization, uh, this is a great resource for you. Until then, lead on. Lead on.